This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 99. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Alrighty, so today we're going to talk about uh, The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal, a researcher who has published a book that challenges the conventional stress narrative. While I agree with Kelly McGonigal on a lot of the ideas that she mentions, I also want to say that um, regardless of how we respond to stress, I think there are a lot of ways that we stress each other out that are deeply saddening to me, and I do not condone... uh, you know, abusive or thoughtless people, workplaces or institutions, no matter how good our strength, stress repo- response is. So we're going to talk about this um, through the lens of different questions. And the first is rethinking stress. How did we come to see stress as the enemy? Now, one reason for that is that a lot of evidence from former stress researchers came from animal studies. A lot of the physiology of stress has been learned from animal studies where animals were exposed to stressors, which we don't commonly experience. So that would, for example, be a rat that they nearly drowned or severely electroshocked. And that's way more um, stress than what we experience when we talk about stress in general, right? So that means that the psycho- uh, the physiological responses cited by stress researchers might not be really compatible with um, with what we find in ourselves because we're talking about very, very different levels of stress. And while we're at it, um, I do not support these kind of animal studies, especially if it's things that we can find out ourselves without necessarily um, hurting other other beings. So while we're on it, I'm not supporting it, but the fact is that a lot has been learned about um, uh, humans from animal research, and if it's helpful, I include it, but that does not mean that I support it. Now, repeating the mantra that stress is bad for you is also a reason why we kind of have a negative view on stress. Now, I actually volunteer at the zoo. And one of the things that we have to think about is how to incorporate stress in the lives of these animals. Because when they're in nature, obviously, they are stressed out sometimes. Sometimes, you know, a lion comes in and and they have to run away or some other animal threatens them. Maybe there are several males and they are fighting over dominance or something like that. And and at a zoo, a lot of that does not happen. So they have to think actively, how can they include stress in the lives of animals so that they can lead a fulfilled life? And that's interesting. And I think that is also true for us. Now, we don't necessarily have to think about ways to stress us out. Um, I think life provides enough stressors as it is, but I just wanted to include this to make you see how stress is really inherently a part of our natural life as a being on this planet. So how do we respond to stress? Um, It's important to go beyond the fight or flight responses. So McGonagall mentions that there are many different ways that people respond to stress. It's not just fighting or running away. Um, There are several other reaction pathways that got excluded from the discourse about stress. And we're going to talk about some. So, So one of them is tend and befriend. So that means that we put an increased emphasis on building relationships and mutual support. 
Um, then there's the idea that we can rise to the challenge. So that means that we focus our attention on one thing and our senses are heightened. Uh, we have feel increased motivation and uh, uh, we mobilize the energy that we feel and focus it on that goal. Another thing is excite and delight, uh, doing risky stuff that is fun, but not necessarily beneficial from an evolutionary point of view, such as skydiving. That can put a lot of stress on us, but it can be enjoyable. So that's why it's called excite and delight. We can also learn and grow. We can react to stress by deciding to learn as much as we can about the situation in order to react in more adaptive ways later. So that means we could um, read books, practice stuff, teach other people, replay experiences in our head, talk to other people about these experiences. All of these things are an adaptive way to respond to stress through learning and growing. Is our concept of stress stressing us out? Now, people who live well with stress are actually healthier than people who experience next to no stress at all. Isn't that interesting? People who think that stress harms them are more likely to have health issues. So when is stress actually harmful? Well, evading stress instead of dealing with it. So we put a lot of stress into our lives, a lot of maladaptive stress, by trying to run away from things that uh, that are maybe inconvenient or a little bit uncomfortable. And that actually causes the kind of stress that is actually harmful for us. Um, another way that stress can be harmful is that if we feel helpless to handle it. Um, if we feel isolated, or if stress is forced on you against your will. So for example, it's stressful to use uh, loose sleep uh, when a baby arrives, but we pull through because we see the point and the higher purpose of raising a healthy child. However, when somebody cuts um, cuts staff at work, for example, uh, to pocket the profit, and then you have to work more and harder, but I yelled at because people make more ex um, uh, mistakes, then you are forced and that makes you feel helpless. And again, we that's the kind of stress we don't really want. They did a study with stress in investment bankers and 100% of them developed one or several of the following symptoms within 10 years. Alcoholism, insomnia, depression, exhaustion. So keep in mind, um, all of these people had at least one of those things, uh, some of them, all of them, all right? So that is pretty... Um, strong evidence that there is such a thing as, you know, harmful stress. And I think that was important that we include that as well. And also 100% is incredibly, um, incredibly, how shall I put this? Yeah, it doesn't happen in social sciences often that something is the case for 100% of the people. So I think this is a strong message that, that stress indeed can be harmful, but it's really important what aspects are harmful and that we learn about those. What is the most helpful way to respond to stress? So in the short term, it's important to look at stress as a messenger. So if we stress out about something, it means that either it's really important to us or it means that we need to invest in a little bit of self-care. So when we get pissed about everything immediately, chances are that we have some important biological and or psychological needs that are unmet. Maybe we're hungry, thirsty, tired, um, we just feel unloved, whatever it is, uh, that is an indicator that we need self-care 
Or, as I said before, that something is important and meaningful to us. You know, we don't usually get angry about things we don't really care about, as I said, when we are sufficiently, you know, um, fed and rested. In the long term, uh, it's important to develop a healthy stress mindset. So that means that we have the Uh, the ability to acknowledge the stress. If you don't notice it, there's very little you can do about it. Understand that it has something important to teach you and that it means something. Uh, Use the energy that stress provides in constructive ways. So what is the relationship between stress and pro-social concepts? So I used pro-social concepts as an umbrella term for things such as meaning or compassion. Let's start with meaning. So people who are in touch with the meaning and purpose underlying daily struggles are happier than people who just write gratitude journals. Some short-term effects of being in touch with the meaning in our lives on a regular basis include feeling more powerful, in control, proud and strong, uh, more empathy for others, more self-control, higher pain tolerance, and less rumination. In the long term, people with meaningful lives need to visit the doctor less frequently, drink less, have higher grades, better mental health, and generally... Um, are perceived as being more resilient. So here are a few exercises to get in touch with meaning in your life. So one is to think about the different roles you play in life. So for example, I'm a psychology teacher, a daughter, an employee, and an on-the-job trainer, among other things. Next, we reflect on which of these roles are sometimes or always stressful. And then reflect on what our life would be like without this role. So for me, being an employee is sometimes very stressful. Um, So now the idea is to think about, well, what would happen if I were no longer an employee, right? Or what would happen if I were no longer a mother, a doctor, I'm not a mother, but if you were no longer a mother or a daughter or whatever it is. And a lot of people don't want to think about these things because they think they're depressing and sad and, you know, why deal with it. But the fact of the matter is that people who actually have, um, oh God, (laughs) let me think of a nice way to put it. The people who actually are brave enough to consider these questions every once in a while are the people who are more in in charge and in touch with purpose in their life. And they are the people who reap all the benefits that we talked about. Another thing you can think about to get in touch with meaning is the idea of what kind of impact do you want to have on society. For me, for example, I think that one big root of suffering comes from people not learning how to process pain and develop the skills to contribute in ways that they value to make them flourish, right? So if you're truly happy, you feel you have enough and doing things like invading other countries or putting others down just make no sense when you're happy you know, and and when you're doing your own thing and you're fulfilled by it. So when you understand how to process difficult events and feelings, we can prevent negative uh, domino effects before they happen. For example, lots of criminals have been abused themselves. If their parents had not done that, but dealt with the pain constructively, um, chances are pretty high that the people would have had a very, very different life and perhaps never would have become criminal in the first place. So when we all understand how we can contribute in ways that we find meaningful, even if we don't land some dream job, we could all enrich each other. 
I don't think all problems in the world would be solved, but I do think that life would be so much more humane if these skills um, were taught to every child. And I want to be one of the people who, who makes that happen, who helps to alleviate that suffering and help people unlock the potential. So that's my purpose. Think about yours. What do you want to leave behind? Another exercise that they found to be helpful was to just write down our personal values for 10 minutes and how they tie into our daily activities. So that way you can aim for goals that help you transcend your daily life. So you cannot reach these goals without other people. That's important. When we when we think about our values, such as, I don't know, equality, openness, um, uh, kindness, compassion, there's no way that we alone can can make the world that way. So we have to reach out to other people. And by doing that, um, we can help each other to feel more curious and inspired about life. And this is actually contagious. It also removes that toxic energy that comes from people constantly competing with each other. Um, a big source of negative stress comes from having only self-focused goals. So if we feel envious of others, if we feel that their got good fortune takes something away from us, then we feel stressed in a not great way, right? So compassion is another pro-social um, way of dealing and, and interacting with stress. Now, what does that mean? Exercising compassion makes us actually stronger in the face of stress, how we react to other people's pain determines how we feel about our own stress. If we tend to kind of be, if we tend to others, basically, and if we befriend them and help them feel more hopeful, we feel less helpless ourselves. And how we use our extra time is also reflected in that. Uh, when we help others, we feel more competent, useful, and interestingly, less worried that we don't have enough time to do the things we feel we need to do. For the same reason, and regardless of how much people earn, people who give money to others feel richer than people who don't. People who live through tragic events often become more altruistic. So they found this with 9-11 victims. They were way more likely to help out the victims of Hurricane Katrina than people who have never gone through a trauma like that. Altruism has an energizing effect on us and it prevents us from becoming defeatist. Another interesting fact about trauma and compassion is that people who suffered from trauma were more likely to get a severe illness except for those who gave back to the community in some way. We become more resilient by caring for others. And intriguingly, people who are biologically the least likely to be altruistic are those who benefited the most in terms of health when they helped out others. What should we aim for? Um, the stress-free life is a boring life, and boredom is actually more damaging, according to McGonagall, than stresses. So instead, we should aim for developing stress resilience similar to a growth mindset. That means that we deliberately train ourselves to react constructively. Uh, we can enrich the story we tell ourselves about stress 
and how we react to stress depends on several things, among them the nature of the stressor. So, so for example, social stress from transgressing, uh, meaning that we don't do something or we do something that's considered rude, is, is very different from, for example, the, the nervousness you feel before you're giving a speech. All right. So by learning that there are different stressors and they're not all the same, stress is not one big block of things that should be treated the same way, but having a nuanced view, we can get better at dealing with it. As with everything else, we frame the stress, uh, how we frame the stress drastically influences how we feel about it. So when we feel the adrenaline shooting through our body, we can say, oh no, I'm stressed, this is bad, I'm going to mess up, or we could say... I love when I get this extra energy boost. This will keep me on my toes. When we experience stress at work, we can say, oh, this is bad for me, I'm burning out. Or we can say like, oh, this is meaningful work and I'm glad that I have the energy to do it. Uh, sometimes we really do get bogged down by overwhelm, uh, but this overwhelm can spark vastly different responses. So for example, we could be like, oh, I'm getting depressed or burned out. Or we can say like, oh, this is really forcing me to reevaluate things. So what are the key takeaways from the upside of stress? The first is that the negative health, health effects come from believing that stress is harmful. Happiness and stress reinforce each other. We're happier when we have challenging situations in our life to overcome. And when something makes us happy, we might be prone to stressing out over losing it or messing it up. And um, that's the second takeaway. So the third is the energy generated by stress can be channeled into something useful. What I took away from this book, so one important area where I differ from Kelly McGonigal's view on stress is that I think that a lot of stress that we experience is generated through incompetence or ego games, both of which, both of which I don't really find acceptable. So I can become the best stress ninja in the world and waste my life coping with things that are simply a waste of time like others' ego games. I think we have to solve the issue at its root. So these roots are usually processes which don't work the way they should. So either I, myself, or someone else has not thought through things well enough to avoid incredibly predictable um, problems. Of course, everybody makes mistakes, and I have no problem with that, but I have zero patience for shoddy processes that cause everybody to run around like headless chickens, and I see that at work, you know? So I feel that by glorifying resilience, we make ourselves vulnerable to playing games that are not worth playing in the first place. Um, we can be thoughtful instead and devote our energy to th shaping things instead of just reacting to them. And that eliminates a lot of stress. And I think that's a good thing because it gives us time and mental resources to deal with things that actually matter. When, you know, when we have to kind of deal with um, ego games, I feel that if we enthusiastically put up with everybody's bullcrap, we might feel incredibly competent and stress resilient, but we end up playing on somebody else's playing field all along. And I don't know about you, but I rather signal to egomaniacs that they can take their games elsewhere than to kind of show how resilient I am and just, you know, doing the ping pong with them. I just don't see the point. Also, I have no interest in continuing the narrative of stress as a form of prestige. 
So if you have kids um, who are listening with you right now, or if you're offended by blunt language, skip ahead uh, 10 seconds, all right? So here it comes. My mom once said to me that comparing stress is like comparing dick sizes. It's just more socially acceptable. And I wholeheartedly agree with her. And I think that it's important to keep in mind when considering our own views of stress. Um, We can become both good at dealing with stress, but not glorifying it. We can be good at dealing with problems, but not um, kind of ignoring the sources of these problems and trying to solve them. So positive psychology challenges us to look at the good, even in things that are considered bad, right? So I have given little thought to McGonagall's view on stress before I read this book. And I, or at least I've given little thought to this idea that stress can be good for you and how to handle it constructively. So I'm very grateful for her to kind of bringing this home to me. Um... I had to learn in my life to stand up to and fight and not let the corporate world trample me. So I think now that I've learned those lessons and I'm better at setting boundaries, I am free to explore McGonagall's idea um, in my work life, for example. I think that sleep is incredibly important. And I genuinely think that a lot of health problems come from lack of sleep. Um... But this stress-resilient mindset has helped me to change my own response to what happens when I don't sleep. So before I used to be, I used to not freak out as I said a bit much, but you know, I'll like pity myself and think it's bad and become a little bit angry when I couldn't sleep or, or when I woke up way too early. And now I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm resilient. I can deal with stress. It's fine. And, um, Uh, We'll see how the day goes. And I think that is already positive in in a way. Alrighty, let's do some reviews. The first is from Phil Ellis from Ireland. Uh, It says, Phil from Ireland here. I've been listening and reading on positive living for some years now. I used it initially to assist with sporting endeavors, but now use it as a tool in everyday life. I don't subscribe to more than 10 podcasts at a time as I end up missing material. So positive psychology is in that list of top five. Thanks for the great work. Hey, Phil from Ireland. Thank you very much for being the first review from Ireland. And it's great to be in your top five. Keep rocking on. Second is from Summertime Bella um, from the US. And it says words are powerful. This show is a must listen. I feel like I just feed my mind with each episode. Thank you so much for spreading the joy. Thank you, Summertime Bella, for giving some of that joy back and helping others find the show because that's what you do. If you don't know how to make a positive difference in the world, well, help out other podcast listeners who don't know this show yet by writing a review. Thanks, Summertime Bella. She did that. And finally, it's by Z55, a much-needed injection of positivity. So it says, The Positive Psychology Podcast is for anyone seeking to reframe how we process the events of daily living and our interactions with others in a way that is positive and healing without being Pollyanna. As an RN working with people living in poverty, I encounter very bleak situations on a regular basis. As the adoptive mother of an extremely challenging special needs child, 
I feel I find no reprieve from the onslaught of negative emotions. Positive psychology in general has been tremendously helpful in reframing these experiences and seeking growth. Kristen Trumpy's podcast is the nourishment that feeds my mind and soul with ideas that help bring clarity and broaden my understanding of how positive psychology fits into every circumstance and encounter. I really appreciate that our topics are grounded in science, yet are filled with poetic insight. Z55, thank you so much for this detailed uh, review. I love to hear specific examples from people working in specific fields like you as an RN. And I am glad when I can make the life of people like you even just a little bit easier. Uh, Because as a society, we would be really, really screwed uh, without people who are willing and able to take on not just the the work of being a nurse but the emotional work that comes with it um and also that comment about poetic insights really warmed my heart so thank you very very much z all right so next episode will be number 100 uh talk to you soon bye-bye if you enjoyed this episode you can help us out by sharing it with your network and leaving a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would love to hear from you at kristen at strengthphoenix.com. For show notes and more, head over to www.strengthphoenix.com. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.